Well, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. As we get back into our study of 1 John, we're calling this this morning Maturing in Christ. And we've called this series that you may know. And if you remember, the, know, the word know is mentioned almost 40 times in 1 John, mentioned 38 times. Uh, we're to have the kind of knowledge of God that transforms our lives and that also transforms the community, the Christian community, and the community outside of the faith that we're a part of. And it's not just head knowledge he's talking about. He's talking about having an intimate knowledge of God's character and, and Jesus as our Savior. Knowledge is what enables us to deal successfully with reality. You've got that on your outline. The reality is that we learn from the Word of God. That's the reality. A lot of people today think that knowledge is restricted to areas of science and mathematics. Uh, they would say there are no absolutes, but there are absolutes. Uh, we, we have those absolutes in the Word of God. Uh, where do you go to find out how to live? Uh, how, do you, how do we know what's right and wrong? What happens when we die? Is there meaning in life? You know those are important questions that we all have to answer. And, and if you know that, I'm guessing you didn't learn that in a math class. The Word of God, beginning with Jesus, gives us knowledge of the truth of the way things are, the reality, and how life works, and what human nature is, and who God is. Jesus knows, <clears throat> excuse me, Jesus knows about life and death and hope. He's not just giving us practical advice. Paul says in 2 Timothy 1, I know whom I have believed. So Paul isn't claiming there to have strong faith. He's saying that, he's rather saying there's a trust in one who's so powerful that even a weak faith is enough. Paul also said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2.4 that he wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. That's a knowledge of Jesus that's deeper than head knowledge because Jesus said, I am the truth. And so 1 John is telling us how to know we're a Christian and, and what we need to know to grow in our faith. And the passage that we're, we're going to read is talking about spiritual growth. And after going through the ways that, that, that already up to this point in the, in the book, in the letter, uh, that people need to grow in their faith and how we can identify someone who is a true Christian, John is writing to people who are discouraged, and, and God is ultimately speaking to us through these verses that we're looking at this morning, telling us not to be discouraged, not to lose heart, not to give up. John is probably around 80 years old when he's writing this letter. Uh, he's the only disciple who has not been martyred, but he has... Um, been exiled to the island of Patmos where he's, from where he's writing this letter. John's life should give hope to all of us. Um, we, we have this nice idea about John. He was the disciple that Jesus loved. Uh, he gives us amazing insight into Jesus in the Gospel of John, in these letters, in the book of Revelation. Uh, but I don't think most of us would have liked hanging out with John 
when he first became a Christian, when he first started following Jesus. His nickname, I'll remind you, was Son of Thunder. Uh, He had a short fuse, and he was selfish. And I know he was selfish because at one point, he and his brother came to Jesus and said, it's in Mark 10, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, I'd like to sit at your right hand. That position of power, put me there. I'm, I'm your man. And my brother over there would like to sit at your left hand. Really? <laughs> isn't that a little prideful? Uh, isn't that a little self-centered there? You know, when they were going through Samaria and the Samaritans did not receive the disciples, uh, it was John's idea to call down lightning from heaven to destroy them in Luke chapter 9. Um, thank goodness that nuclear weapons hadn't been invented because that's what he would have thrown at them. Um, but I don't think an early version of John would have been the easiest person to get along with. But when Jesus got a hold of him, he grew. As Peter says in, in 2 Peter, in, he grew in grace. Uh, he grew in the knowledge of God. He grew in the, the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. And yes, later on, he's called the beloved disciple. And and later in Acts, we see him demonstrating Holy Spirit power. But that was because he was a changed man. He was a changed person by the Holy Spirit. So let's read our passage, 1 John chapter 2, beginning at verse 12. I am writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I've written to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. And I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. So this is the word of the Lord. We'll stop there. So as we've been reading along in 1 John, you'll notice in your Bibles that this section is in poetry form. It's not in letter form and verse form like the, the, uh, the beginning of the letter and, and following this. But this is almost like a, a short digression that doesn't almost seem to fit. But John's been telling us how we can know we're a Christian and, and we can know we're a Christian if, we, if our lives are like Christ, if we uh, live righteously, if we love like Jesus loved. Uh, look up at verse 9. We looked at this just recently. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Uh, John is saying that this is what it means to be a Christian. And, and, and then it's as if he stops. He's being a pastor here, I think, and he doesn't want his people, the people he's writing to, to throw in the towel. And so he predicts a little bit almost what they're thinking. And, and, and what he thinks they're thinking is, I'll never be able to really live like a Christian. I'll never be able to live up to what, what, what he said so far in the passage, much less what he's going to say afterwards. And he anticipates them wanting to give up. There's a process You notice that fathers and young men and and children are all mentioned twice in these three verses. 
And he's saying, I'm going to tell you something here that is very important. And if you remember it, you will be encouraged to press on in your life with God and stay consistent in walking with God. And, and if you don't follow these, if you don't remember these three very basic things, you're going to want to give up. So I want you to remember these truths. Whatever you do, do not forget them. Whether you're a child or a young person or whether you're an adult, spiritually speaking. So remember that, and this is on your outline, the Christian life is a process of spiritual growth. Just like there are stages to physical growth, there are stages to spiritual growth. I think one time or another, we've all heard our parents say uh, to us, oh, you're just going through a phase. Well, maybe in their wisdom, our parents are saying, you just have to understand there's a progression. You'll get over this time in your life that you think is... So whatever it is. <clears throat> and so the next thing on your outline is this. A great church isn't where everyone is the most spiritually mature Christian ever. It's where there are Christians who are at every stage of the Christian life and who are all growing. Whatever stage you're in, you're growing in your faith. We want the most mature spiritual grandparents around. We want the most mature young men and women. We want the most mature growing children. But we thank God for spilled milk, spiritually, maybe speaking. We thank God for dirty diapers. And we need to love the baby Christian. That's, that's part of who we are. And we need to be like a maternity ward where people come to faith in Christ. They're born, they begin to grow, and they keep growing. On the other hand, we don't want people <clears throat> in the maternity ward who are 30 years old and still sucking their thumb. That's not a good look. John is saying whether you're a brand new Christian or whether you've been a growing Christian for 50 years, he's saying that these are three things you must remember. And the first one is that remember that your sins have been forgiven. I'm writing to you, dear children, because, verse 12, your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. You know, I've had discussions with people and I've asked them if, if they believe their sins are forgiven and their response is, well, I, I hope so. But that's not a good response. A Christian is not somebody who just hopes they're forgiven. They know they are because that's their position in Christ. And among other things, and again on your outline, to be a Christian is to know that you've been forgiven. Do you know that you've been forgiven? Do you know that with 100% certainty? Because that's the certainty that John wants us to have, that God wants us to have in his word. Do you know that you've been radically and completely forgiven? Maybe it's because someone says they've repented, uh, but no one repents perfectly. We're not forgiven because we repent. Remember what it says back at the beginning of John, 1 John chapter 2. Look at the beginning verses, 1 John 2, 1 and 2. If you sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the atoning sacrifice for your sins. And so, yes, the next thing on your outline, your repentance leads to forgiveness, but it does not earn God's forgiveness. There's nothing we can do to earn God's forgiveness. 
And what an amazing truth it is. As it says in Proverbs 18, uh, the name of Yahweh is a strong tower and the righteous run to it and are protected. Our sin may be great, but God's grace is even greater. There was a prison chaplain who went to see a, a woman who was in jail uh, for murder. And she was going to be executed. And she asked this chaplain to be with her at her execution. And the chaplain said to her, her name was Emma. The chaplain said, Emma, are you absolutely sure you're a believer? That you've come to know Jesus? Do you know that your sins are forgiven? Do you know in about one hour's time you're going to be in the presence of God? Do you know that for certain? And she said, yes, I know. I do know that for certain. But my sin is so big. I've taken someone's life. And the chaplain told her about walking along the beach and seeing a small crab scurry out of its hole. And he was walking on a little bit further. There was uh, some young kids, and they were, they were building a sandcastle, and they dug out a bigger hole, a pretty big hole, to, to build their sandcastle. And he walked on a little bit further, and there was somebody with a big, uh, a big machine, and they were moving a lot of sand, and they, it was, they had an even like a gigantic hole. And then he said as he was watching the waves and the, the tide come in, he saw all of those holes filled up with water. And he said to Emma, he said, you know what? That's what the blood of Christ does. No matter how big the sin, it fills up the hole. It doesn't matter the size. All sin hurts God. And where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And so do you know that you've been forgiven? And because of that forgiveness, have you been able to forgive those in your life who need forgiveness? And you say, yeah, but there are people in my life who don't deserve forgiveness. Do you deserve forgiveness? Do I? We want to be able to forgive people even when they don't deserve it. With the forgiveness with which we have been forgiven ourselves. The second thing that John says we need to remember so that we don't get discouraged, so that we don't throw in the towel and don't give up, is that you're strong through the word of God abiding in you. Verse 14, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. The word of God is the scriptures and the terms word of God and the Holy Spirit, that person, are sometimes in scripture used interchangeably. Like, for example, you've got it on your outline in Ephesians 5. It says, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, always giving thanks to God for everything. The parallel passage to that is Colossians 3.16. And that says, let the word of Christ dwell in you. And then goes on to say that you'll sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness. So in one passage, it's the Spirit of God. In the other passage, it's the Word of God, but the same results. In John chapter 3, it says you're born from above by the Spirit. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, it says you're born above by the imperishable Word of God. So these are two ways of talking about the same thing. The Spirit of God 
brings the truth of God into our lives. And that's through his word. It's almost as if God implants his DNA into your life as a believer and it comes and with it comes this power that is the nature of God. And so it's a participation in the life of God that we have. And this is what Peter says in 2 Peter 1. It's on your outline. God has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. Think about that. You participate in God's nature through his word and through the Holy Spirit living in you. And when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, he begins to develop the fruit of the Spirit, which is there in seed form, but needs to be developed. Because God, the Holy Spirit, has taken up residence in your life. And so it's the truth of God coming into you. It's like a new bud coming out of a a branch in the spring, and, and it begins to push out the sin. It begins to push out all the dead leaves that didn't fall off in the fall. And God's nature, his word, abides in you, and it strengthens you for whatever God has for you to do. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so if there are areas of your life where you're thinking, you know what, I can't change. I'll never be able to change. And I'm making myself miserable, and I'm making others miserable. Then what you've done is to cheapen the work of Christ on the cross. What you've done is to ignore the power of the Holy Spirit that you have in your life. Christianity is not just about deciding to go to church or read your Bible or do a list of things. This is on your outline. Christianity is about God, the Holy Spirit, coming from the outside of you, coming into you and saving you, and it changes you, and and that change begins in, in your heart. It changes what's going on in your heart. The goal is that, that the longer we've, we've lived, the deeper and the better we know him. And so that points to each one of us, no matter where we're at in the continuum of, of, of Christian growth, that we keep growing. You know, this happened some years ago, but um, <clears throat> it was on the, the Rose Bowl parade uh, that thanks to the, the New Year's Day parade up in Pasadena, and one of the floats ran out of gas. And uh, they had to go get a gas can. The whole parade was held up. And of all things, ironically, it was the standard oil float. How ironic that they would be the ones to run out of gas. But I think sometimes we neglect our neglect in maintaining our walk with God, even though we're clothed with power positionally in Christ, that we find ourselves out of gas. Why is that? Because we're not delighting in the word of God. We're not delighting in the work of the Holy Spirit going on in our life. God calls us to love his word. Do you love the word of God? The prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 15, 16 says, your words were found and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart for I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Your words were found and I ate them. What a picture of sitting down to an amazing meal and every bite is just 
a, a joy. You just are loving it. And this is what the way we should approach the word of God. Is every bite of the word of God for you a joy and a delight? You know, I ran across the title of a book that I've never read, but the title made me want to read it. It's by Nate Pickowitz, and the title of this book is How to Eat Your Bible. A Simple Approach to Learning and Loving the Word of God. I love that title. So, eat the Word. Have a feast in the Word. Man lives by, not by bread alone, but by every word that, that comes from the mouth of God. So, eat the Word. Have a feast before God. So, how is your knowledge of God? From the word. Has God's word become a joy to you and a delight to your heart? You know, I've, I've talked to different ones who have been memorizing scripture. Someone had texted me and said that, you know, that assignment you gave us as we were going through Romans and to memorize Romans 8, well, I finally did it. That's great. I mean, we need to all be memorizing God's word, but it's not just to memorize it. It's to memorize it so that we do it. It's like Jesus said in Luke 6.46. It's not on your outline, but you might want to write down that reference, Luke 6.46. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I say? And so he's after our obedience. That's what he's after. And why does Jeremiah's heart leap for joy? Because he says, I am called by your name, O Lord of hosts. Wow. And then the third thing that we need to remember to stay encouraged every day to move forward in our walk with God is that you don't just know about God, but you know God. Again, verses 13 and 14. Um, verse 14, I'll pick it up there. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him. It was from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. The beauty of this statement, I think, is in its simplicity. The one who is God is now our father. As J.I. Packer says, father is the Christian name of God. And he's a good father. He's a perfect father. I talk to people every once in a while that have had horrible fathers. But thankfully, we don't need to be defined by that. We don't need to be bound by that because we have a good father, a perfect heavenly father. And I, uh, these promises of forgiveness of sin and knowledge of God remind me of the, of the promise of the new covenant, Jeremiah 31. No longer will one teach his neighbor or his brother saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me. From the least to the greatest of them, this is the Lord's declaration. For I will forgive their wrongdoing and never again remember their sin. God is not just some energy. He is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person who indwells us by a miracle of God. And all this great power in your life is, comes from cultivating the relationship we have with God. And so on your outline, you have this Bible reading and prayer and fellowship in the body are not about earning points to get you into heaven. We cannot do that. They are disciplines of grace that are about growing the relationship that you have with God. You listen to God through his word. You talk to God through prayer. 
And it's not enough just to do it corporately. This is important to do it corporately together on Sundays. We do that. But you've got to do it on your own. That's what he's saying. That's what John's saying. You know, one of my heroes in the faith is Jim Elliott, a missionary who was martyred for his faith uh, by the Alca Indians in Ecuador. And in his journal, he wrote this. You have it on the outline. To stand by the shadows of a friendly tree with the wind tugging at your coattail, uh, if he could only hear, feel the wind today, and the heavens hailing your heart, to gaze and glory and to give oneself again to God, what more could someone ask? Oh, the fullness and pleasure, the sheer excitement of knowing God on earth. I care not if I never raise my voice again for him, if only I may love him, please him. So let me ask you this. When was the last time you came away from personal time with God saying, wow, I know that I have poured my heart out to God. I know he's heard me. I know him in a deeper way because of this, the time I've spent in his word and then, and then praying that word back to him. When was the last time you had a time like that? That's what God is waiting for us to, to have every day with him. And so when you feel discouraged, remember these three truths. Your sins are forgiven. His spirit and his word abide in you. And you have personal knowledge of God, a relationship with him. And remember, this happens in stages. We move through these stages spiritually. You know, uh, <clears throat> what, what happens when your child comes to you in the middle of the night and says, I'm hot, I have a sore throat, and I can't sleep? Do something. That's how five-year-old talks. And mom gets up and does something. This is kind of how the disciples related to Jesus in the beginning. They're on the boat in the Sea of Galilee, and they wake Jesus up and in essence say, Lord, don't you care that we're about to drown? Do something. And what does Jesus re do? He, he rebukes them for their lack of faith, but he calms the storm. So well, how does he deal with the disciples? He's basically saying, you're afraid and you're accusing me. And he deals with them where they're at. A mom doesn't blame her child for being childish when they come at five years old in the middle of the night. She says, okay, I love you. We'll do what we can. She doesn't say, you're rude and selfish in the way you ask that. Go back to bed. Come back and talk to me when you can talk like an adult. Of course not. God knows where you're at. And he wants to work with you where you're at. He says, little children, don't be discouraged. You have forgiveness in me. And so how do you grow? Here's what John told us. First, you have, in, in these verses that we're looking at today, first of all, you have new birth. And so bask in the forgiveness of God. As you're doing that, ask God, who do I need to forgive in my life? And then second, remember that it's a process that, that you need to keep advancing from being a child to being a young person to being an adult spiritually. It's a process to know God more and more intimately, so keep growing. Don't give up. Be consistent. And third, you have to constantly be feeding on the word of God. Eat the word of God. 
C.S. Lewis said it like this. Uh, it's on your outline. Fallen man is not simply an imperfect creature who needs improvement. He is a rebel who must lay down his arms. Lewis is, is highlighting our need for radical transformation. We all need it. And that only God can do that in our lives. We have a rebellious nature. Every one of us has a rebellious nature. And at, at, at the root in our lives, God says, I want to give you victory over sin. I want to give you victory over Satan. And so keep striving to know him. Keep practicing the word. Put it into practice. Our sins have been forgiven, so glory in God's grace. We've come to know him through a, a saving relationship with Christ, and so seek to know him better every day. And we should remain in the word and in prayer so we can keep growing strong in the Lord. And he's preparing us for what's coming next in verses 15 to 17 and what's in the world. And, and, and this is a preparation for that. A lot to think about.